Hello and welcome to another episode of the Orthodox Logos slash the Road to Paradise. My name is Ian Silver and I'm here with my co-host Nathaniel Harmon. Greetings. And yeah, today we're going to be talking about St. Bridget of Kildare and speaking on the li- her life. And we're going to try to focus on the lives of Western saints a little bit more um, due to me and Nathan's background. We're both of, if, if you haven't seen any images of us, you'd know that we're unequivocally both very Anglo-Saxon in appearance, which also indicates that there's a degree of British heritage as well. So St. John Maximovich once said something to the effect of, you ought to be familiar with and particularly devoted to local saints. Obviously in America, that's kind of a difficult thing because we don't have tons of saints in every locality. I mean, we have obviously many who were, who will be shown to, shown to be saints later, but we don't have many glorified saints in in America. I was going to say, we don't like have a saint from Arizona, but then my mind, my (laughs) mind immediately was like, well, we do. Elder Ephraim, he just isn't canonized yet. So, but but it's not like you have a Utah saint or a saint of New Mexico, which... Right. Well, there's, you know, you have St. Patrick as the patron saint of Ireland, right? You have uh, St. Vincent of Lillon, who's a very, well, I wouldn't say very famous, but he's a famous um, uh, Frankish or uh, French saint. But we don't really have that kind of notoriety in the States, which is thoroughly unfortunate. But because of that, we're going to be focusing a lot on um, British, Celtic, Anglo-Saxon, Germanic, French saints, because that's where our heritage comes from. That's who we ought to be having a special devotion to. And this is going to kind of inaugurate also something that we're going to be doing with the Road to Paradise and the Orthodox Logos, which is once a month we're going to try to go through the life of one or two saints um, from that month and discuss their lives and maybe talk briefly about how um, they're special to us or what we find interesting and appealing about their lives and what they can say to us. Yeah, also, um, I'm drawing a blank, but do you have any idea who that saint is? Uh, it's in the bookstore of our parish, and he's like the protector of North America. It's that icon. It's a it's a bigger icon. I've been wanting, yeah, it says, you know, protector of North America. Can't think of the name of him. <clears throat> of him. We'll have to, we'll have to look at it and, and and mention that. So I don't know any saints that are designated to be protector of North America. It's not on the wall. It's like, you right, know. In the bookstore. Yeah. But but you do have, we, we do have St. Innocent of Alaska, who is yeah. the um, the apostle to America. Um, he was a early 19th century Russian priest turned bishop who was extremely, extremely important for us. He's actually the first one who ever... Um, publicly venerated St. Herman of Alaska before his glorification. Um, and St. Herman, through his intercession, saved St. Innocent in the ship that he was on and allowed them to come to port in Alaska. I believe it was in, in Alaska or Kodiak Island, somewhere around there, I forget. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm trying to remember who it was, but we'll we'll get back to that. So, yeah, as Nathan said, we're going to try to focus on Western saints and, and stuff that, you know, we're, we're drawn to due to our, our heritage and our lineage. And February 1st marked the commemoration of the Venerable Bridget of Ireland. So we're going to read her life, and then 
maybe mention a few other saints that are going to be coming up or have, you know, uh, who, who have already passed in January. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, St. Bridget, also known as the Mary of Gale or the Mary of, uh, the Mary of Ireland, was born around 450. Um, and according to tradition, her father was a pagan and her mother was a slave, was one of his slaves. Even as a child, she was known for her compassion for the poor. She would give away food, clothing, and even her father's possessions to the poor. One day, he took Bridget to King's Court, leaving her outside to wait for him. He asked the king to buy his daughter from him, since her excessive generosity made her too expensive for him to keep. That's kind of funny. She was stealing from him and giving to people, and it made her too expensive to keep. The king asked to see the girl, so her father led him outside. They were just in time to see her give away her father's sword to a beggar. The sword had been presented to her father by the king, who said, I cannot buy a girl who holds us so cheap. St. Bridget received monastic tonsure at the hands of St. Male. Male of... I'm not going to try that. Ard- Ardog? Arda. Arda. Maybe. Soon after this, she established a monastery on land given to her by the king of Langster. Mm-hmm. The land was called Sildara, or Kildare or the Church of the Oak. This was the beginning of women's cenobitic cenobitic monasticism in Ireland. The miracles performed by St. Bridget are too numerous to relate here, and however, perhaps one story will suffice. One evening, the Holy Abbess was sitting with the blind nun Dara. From sunset to sunrise, they spoke of the joys of the kingdom of heaven and the love of Christ, losing all track of time. St. Bridget was struck by the beauty of the earth and sky in, morning, in the morning light. Realizing that Sister Dara wasn't able to appreciate this beauty, she became very sad. Then she prayed and made the sign of the cross over Dara's eyes. All at once, the blind nun's eyes were opened, and she saw the sun in the east and the trees and flowers sparkling with dew. She looked for a while, then turned to St. Bridget and said, Close my eyes again, dear mother, for when the world is visible to the eyes, then God is seen less clearly by the soul. St. Bridget prayed again, and Dara became blind once more. St. Bridget fell asleep in the Lord in the year 523 after receiving Holy Communion from St. Nineveh of Inismach Saint. She was buried at Kildare, but her relics were transferred to Downpatrick during the Viking invasions. It is believed that she was buried in the same grave with St. Patrick in St. Columba of Iona. Late in the 13th century, her head was brought to Portugal by three Irish knights on their way to fight in the Holy Land. They left this holy relic in the parish parish church of Lumiar, about three miles from Lisbon. Portions of the relic were brought back to Ireland in 1929 and placed in the new church of St. Bridget in Dublin. The relics of St. Bridget in Ireland were destroyed in the 16th century by Lord Grey during the reign of Henry VIII. The tradition of making St. Bridget's crosses from rushes and hanging them in the home is still followed in Ireland, where devotion to her is still strong. She is also venerated in northern, northern Italy, France, and Wales. I'm not sure why, but I honestly kind of got chills. Oh, same here. The, the the initial thoughts that I had during the um, the the miracle of allowing her um, one of her nuns to see would didn't go the direction I thought it was going to go because for for whatever reason I've read her life before and I don't ever remember reading that. To close my eyes again, dear mother, for when the world is visible to the eyes, then God is seen less clearly by the soul. Like, we could say a lot about that. Well, a lot can be said about that, but like. A, it's interesting. Obviously, I'm well not possessing the best sight. I'm not blind, so I can't say that 
the desire makes, you know, is completely incoherent. But I will say that one of the things that I've often done in times of spiritual distress is I'll go out in the woods and, you know, we've, we've got this bloody huge mountain by us. So I'll go out in the woods. There's a couple of places where I'll go sit where I can see the peaks and just sit there and I might have a smoke and just sit there and think and pray for a little bit. And being able to see that kind of helps draw me closer to God. But I can't imagine um, losing that or, you know, opening my eyes and seeing such a magnificent sight and going, oh, wow, that's distracting me from the kingdom of God. That's yeah, a crazy. Cl- close my eyes again. <laughs> that's, a, that's a crazy thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's fantastic, but it's interesting that there, there are a lot of ties that can be made to Scripture where Christ is discussing the obsession with the material world and, and not living in it well, but in, in over-obsession with it, like we see in the modern world. And how it becomes so spiritually blind. Yeah, leads to spiritual blindness and leads to damnation if you're not attentive. And that's why there's a lot, of, you see a lot in Scripture about the blind man, or, you know, it, it's always, it seems like there's a lot, a lot, there's a lot of, uh, those, the people who are blind physically seem to be more spiritually Sometimes. Able, able to see things, or or at least they under, they might have an understanding as to why. Well, I wouldn't even say the, the physically blind. I would say the physically infirm and broken. Um, that's, that's, that's an interesting thing. The physical discomfort and physical pain and disability bring you to a point where you can't... Um, you can't rely on your own strength and your own wits in a way that you otherwise would. Yeah. Um, you have to let go and kind of let... Well, it, it, it shows you just how truly you don't have control over things. Because, I mean, you know, despite you making fun of me for being a cripple, I'm still in pretty pretty good physical shape, and I can get a lot of places... Well, that went real dark real quick. Doing, do, I can do a lot of things, you know, and... The, the times when I've been hurt to where I couldn't do that were not fun because I realized just how, you know, yeah. how fragile I actually am and how much my, my continued existence and physical well-being depends on God's mercy. It's always made, uh, once I became Orthodox, I started thinking about this a little, a little bit deeper, especially when in regards to my mom, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's before I even knew, I mean, I always knew there were saints and patron saints, but I would always, I don't know if it's blasphemous or not, but I would, I would always say that. You know, my mom's a saint. Mm-hmm. And I know that's like a general, you know, a general phrase. Well, but I've said that about people in our parish before. Yeah, exactly. But even more so with how much she has suffered physically, and mentally. She's well. And she's suffered well. And I'm like, she's a saint. You know, she never lost her hope in God. Mm-hmm. Whether or not she's orthodox, and that's a different story. She wants to become, but it's like, she still has that that faith, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's unshakable, especially for people who have been through so much. It's either, it's, it's one end or one end or the other of the spectrum. You know, you either completely lose it mm-hmm. and you blast from God and, and you, you blame God or you say, you know what, this is my cross to bear. Right. Thank you, God. Well, there was, what, what comes to mind when you say that actually suffering well, there was a patient that I had years ago. Um, and he, he was a, he, he was a Navajo guy, you know, he was old, old man. So he, he didn't speak English very well. Um, and I'm actually fairly certain that he didn't actually know what his birthday was. Like, we didn't actually know how old he was because in this in, when, on, in the vicinity of the Navajo Reservation, you get some of those elderly people. And, you know, they, they've been around so long that, you know, like they've seen the, um, 
they've seen roads built on the res when there were no roads. They've seen electricity come to the road or come to the res when there were no when when there was no electricity on the reservation. Like they've been there for a long, long time. So they probably feel like they're hundreds of years old. I mean they <laughs> act like it sometimes too, but this guy was like he, he was one of those patients, you know, when, when you work in medicine, you're supposed to always go, okay, what's your name and your birthday? And, and then the next nurse asks it, and the next right, nurse, and like, and the dude, doctor. It's like, dude, I know who you are. Like, you're, I, I know who you are. As soon as you open your mouth and start talking, if I was blind, I would know who you were. But, you know, I would always ask him, and he was always like, you could wake him up at one in the morning. Like, hey, man, I've got to gotta do whatever. And he would wake up, and he'd have this huge smile on his face and be like, Oh, hey, how's it going? Like, yeah, so, you know, I already know who you are, but I need you to tell me your name and your birthday. And you tell me, and he would always do it with the biggest smile on his face. And he's one of the few patients that after, you know, my time in medicine that I still remember his face, and I can still hear the sound of his voice. And I remember the day that he died. Like, I went went up to go uh, check on another patient for something. And they're like, oh, so-and-so died. And I was like, that's that's really sad because... I mean, it was his time, obviously. I mean, he was an old, old man. But he suffered well. But he, I never heard him complain about anything. I never heard him be upset. He was, he, like, he greeted everybody with a smile on his face. And he was the happiest patient I've ever seen there. It was the craziest thing. Like, that kind of stuff sticks with you. Yeah. You know? And there, there's an interesting story going back to St. Bridget for a moment. That supposedly she um, was, was being courted at one point. You know, some nobleman or king wanted to marry her because she was very beautiful and she was so upset about that because she wanted to be a she wanted to become a monastic she didn't she ask god to make her well th there, there are two versions of the story that i'm aware of and one of them is that she asked god to um make her ugly or that she either that she actually physically disfigured herself like cut her face and physically disfigured herself so that someone so that people wouldn't find her attractive and through that, this this uh, suitor was removed from her life, but also because of that, God gave her back her beauty, <laughs> which is interesting. God healed her of whatever she'd done to herself, which is something that you actually see in the life of Saint Benedict of Nursia. He uh, was so bis like he struggled with lust, right? I mean, you and I both know, being men, that that's a that's a rough thing to deal with, and that's pretty a pretty visceral fight sometimes, and. At one point, St. Benedict was being so beset by lust, he got really, really hacked off, he got really angry. So he strips his clothes off and jumps into a rose bush. <laughs> and God, I feel that. God saw that act of piety and was like, yeah, you know, he's not trying, you know, he's not doing what Origen did. He's not castrating himself, but he's so frustrated with this, he just wants it gone. And he's willing to do this that God took lust away from him. It was never something that assaulted him again. Hmm. I'm not saying you should go jump in a rose bush yet. <laughs> also, your, your duty at this point is to have many children. Oh, great. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I think this is going to be a good series, and I think it'll be edifying for a lot of people, and especially for us, because, like you said, I've, I've read a little bit about her, and I'm sure you know more about the Western Saints than me. But yeah, that really, that little, that little part in there where you know, it was pretty intense, honestly. Oh yeah, the I will say one thing. She saw the sun in the east and the trees and flowers sparkling, and still said, you know, this is distracting me from God. Right. 
on a somewhat less spiritual note, it's interesting that her that her relics survived the survived the Viking invasions, huh? Viking invasions, and what they're not talking about there is they also survived um, periods of invasion by the British and various other difficulties. But what they didn't survive was the Protestant Reformation. They did not. They did not. So, because it says it is believed that she was buried in the same grave as St. Patrick, which I also did not know. Right. I didn't know that either. But, you know, there's there's some... I, I wouldn't doubt that there are some remains of her relics in the world. I, I pray that is the case. But The Church of St. Bridget in Dublin? In Dublin, yeah. The, but Henry, du it's Dublin. Yeah, depends on where you're from. Well, we're, Hen we're really going to live this up. Henry VIII is one of the worst historical figures that has ever lived because the relics of so many... Oh, yeah, it says they're destroyed. Kings, yeah, that's right. The, the, the relics of so many venerable saints were destroyed by Henry VIII. One of, Lord one of Grey. Ones, Who's Lord Grey? One of his um, chancellors, I think. But one of one of the sad bits, and like, we're obviously we're Orthodox, we're not Catholic, so Thomas Beckett is well, not an I, Orthodox. I'm Orthodox. Thomas Beckett is not an Orthodox saint, right? But he was highly venerated in True. Britain for a long time because he was an example of what it means to hold fast to the faith against political allegiance and friendship, right? Against illegitimate friendship. And Henry VIII destroyed his relics in Can at Canterbury. He also destroyed the relics of St. Cuthbert, most of them. That makes me angry. There, there's actually some interesting information coming out, though, that maybe more British saints' relics were saved than might have otherwise been known at... Um, at Durham Cathedral, they found what they think might be the relics of, I believe it's St. Hilda of Whitby, which hopefully that's the case, because she's also a fantastic saint that we'll have to talk about at some point. I mean, that's you, you want to talk about swallowing pride and abandoning hubris. St. Hilda's one of the ones who did that in a way that I don't know that very many people would have had the wherewithal to do. So there's another... Article, you know, it says during the Danish invasion, her relics were translated to Downpatrick, which we mentioned, right. where they were buried with those of St. Patrick of Ireland and St. Columba of Iona. Mm -hmm. And then late in the 13th century, her head was extracted and brought to Portugal by three Irish knights mm -hmm. on their way to fight in the Holy Land. They left this holy relic in the parish church of Lumiar yeah. in northern Lisbon. Portions of her relics were brought back to Ireland in 1929 and placed in a new church, St. Bridget of Dublin. So some of her relics are still extant, which is fortunate. I mean, we can definitely see the hand of God's providence there. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I guess we could we could touch on a few other saints that are going to be coming up. Yeah. Or, or you know, was there any other ones last, last month? I think you were mentioning... There were a couple last month. I don't St. Zinnia? Zinnia was... St. Zinnia of St. Petersburg was last month. Yeah, um, that's right. She's personally speaking, a saint that I'm very devoted to. Well, we'll probably get into that on another episode at yeah. some point. Yeah, it's a, a pretty rough subject. She, she's a wonderful saint, though. She really is. Um, I had the, our spiritual father has a parish down in Florence, Arizona, and he puts on a deal where you want to say it's 50 hours. 50 some odd hours. You know it's day. coming up, right? Another one's coming up? Yeah. Outstanding. Father asked if we wanted to do it. Depends February eleventh through the thirteenth or something, or through the twelfth. Yeah. So, but but either way, it was it's 
50 hours of you have teams rotating through praying a couple of activists and then a couple hours each it's like an hour and a half two hours a piece and you bounce go to sleep if you're staying there and someone else picks up and takes over doing the activists but um joseph who's one of the catechumens in our parish and i had the privilege of um, being able to pray saint zanny as activists and you didn't know this prior i didn't know prior and that made me very happy cool i was, I was digging through the list and i saw that and i was like ah sweet well, it, this was not last year, right? It was uh, September, yeah, technically last year. Last September? Yeah, September. Yeah. Wow. I, I was kind of bummed that we didn't end up with uh, Tsar Nicholas II. But, you know. Did someone? Yeah. And you were you there for that? I was offered the opportunity to acquire that activist from who had it. I was like, well, I already got St. Zenia, and I really love her. So whoever has Tsar Nicholas definitely deserves to have him. So. Yeah, we'll, will, and I'm sure we'll do a series or many series on... Sorry, Nicholas, at well, some point. Maybe we'll get to talk to talk about monarchy at some point. I'd love to have Isaac on for a discussion on that, since I think he would push back pretty aggressively, but it would be fun. Yeah, so part two of the interview with uh, Traditionalist Project is postponed for a few days, maybe uh, this weekend. Part one is going to be available on Spotify uh, tonight, tomorrow, you know, so to speak. And we were supposed to film with him today, but um, glory, just, glory to God, he just got baptized, so I'm sure he's doesn't want to talk to some heathens like us. <laughs> He's basking in his grace. So yeah, uh, pray, pray for Isaac, uh, Seraphim. Seraphim. Yeah. Unless it's Godfather completely pulled another name out of the bag, but it sounds like uh, St. Seraphim we can only hope. chose Isaac. Right? <laughs> I, I don't have a problem with various cultures adopting a preponderance of one saint or another. Um, so you definitely went with the whole Marian thing. I've met many, many people who... Well, why don't you tell people what who you, who your uh, saint is and and why? Maybe we, we have we have time for you to get into that uh, briefly if you'd like. Okay, so as far as British saints go, I I am actually superior to the allegiance to my heritage than Ian. Wow, <laughs> I had no choice. <laughs> I I just have to throw a little bit of shade. Um, now Ian took the name Panayoti, which is outstanding. Um, being named for the mother of God is a wonderful thing. It's also a very big cross to bear. <laughs> I'll take your word for it, not having to bear that particular cross myself. Um, but I took, so, so my my given name is Nathaniel, which is an Orthodox, which is a name that I could have kept being Orthodox. But I ended up not... But you don't want to be like Joseph. Yeah, Joseph's <laughs> name for a pagan. Um, but no, I, I was thinking about various names to take, I almost ended up going with Saint, uh, with the masculinization of St. Xenia's name, actually. What would that be? Xenios, uh, I believe. Xenios? I think. I'm not positive on that. But I, I thought about doing that. But then it dawned on me that um, perhaps I ought to look to Western saints for some reason. I'm not sure where this thought came from. And in doing that, I encountered St. David of Wales, who's the patron saint of Wales. And I began to realize some interesting things then, because I lived in Wales for a while, and one of the reasons I actually went there, I went there to study medieval history, but I also went there to become Catholic, because I was, as anyone who's listened to the podcast knows, I was Protestant, born and raised. Wait, you're not Catholic? No. Even though I might fool some people in that regard. But I I went to Wales to become Catholic because I'd heard that you could become Catholic there without having the same kinds of um, renunciations laid on you as you would if you became Catholic in America, because as everyone knows, in America there are, like, all of the Protestant denominations and all of the weird, absurd beliefs. So the Catholic Catholics here are like, okay, yeah, if you're going to become a Catholic, you've got to, we've got to make sure you're not going to be Pentecostal or Southern Baptist or 
You're going to be Catholic. You're, like, you're going to be Catholic. But in Europe, it's like, well, I mean, we've got kind of Baptists and maybe some Anglicans. And if you're Anglican, you're like 97% Catholic anyway. So you just don't accept the king or the queen as the head of your church and you're pretty much good to go with a handful of other things. So I went to the UK for that to happen. Met with a Catholic priest a couple of times. His name was uh, Father Carlos. Really nice guy. Was he Latin? Yeah. Well, he was, Fili- he was a Filipino. Filipino. He was a Filipino priest in Wales, which was hilarious. Oh. Um, great priest. And we had coffee and tea a couple of times and talked and was a wonderful guy. And at one point, we were talking and I was expounding some sort of ridiculous Protestant theology that I thought I'd be able to hold on to if I became Catholic. And I remember Father Carlos just looked at me and was like, you really need to familiarize yourself with theology because you don't know anything about theology. And at the time, I knew that there were things I didn't know about theology, but I was under the impression that I knew quite a lot about theology and quite a lot about sacred scripture. And that really kind of got me bent out of shape. I wasn't too pleased about that. And I said some things to Father Carlos that you should never say to a priest, be they Latin or otherwise. And that was the last time we ever saw each other. And I hope he prays for you. I pray for him. <laughs> you pray that he forgives you. Yeah, because I mean, I did not. I was not nice to him that last time we talked, which is a shame because he was nothing but charitable to me. Um, but we. So I spent the next however long I was in Wales, kind of irritated and upset that I wasn't even able to become Catholic, and I was like, "Well, I guess I'm just going to have to be a very unhappy and irritable Protestant." That sounds right. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm still kind of that way, but I'm a little less irritable than I typically would have been. But all this happens, and then I come back to the States, and at the, like, the beginning of that year that I got back to the States was when this whole, like, the, the road to orthodoxy kind of picked up and actually became a thing that had some momentum. And you had heard of orthodoxy prior? Oh, yeah, I mean, their Catholicism for Russians and Greeks. Yeah. So... <laughs> They're Catholics without the Pope. Yeah. So, so that road started. That was sarcasm, just and so people know. Moving on to, to the how I picked St. David, or rather how St. David picked me, I realized that his relics were only like 35 or 40 miles from where I was living. And you never got to venerate them. I never thought to go venerate them. Like, it would never have occurred to me. And so I realized that in many ways, the only reason that I was able to become... That, that, that being Orthodox was an option for me. Was, was because that, you upset a Catholic priest in was Wales? Was St. David was interceding for me and protecting me, and that in some ways he, he kind of weaponized my passions to keep me from becoming Catholic. <laughs> or at least that's what I think happened. I'm not sure if that's entirely true. But So here I said St. David, it, you know, named for St. David of Wales. Wow. Well, Father Carlos, if, if you're listening to this, I'm very sorry for what I said to you. Please pray for me. <laughs> okay, so why don't we mention uh, a few other saints that are coming up, and then we'll we'll end this episode. And do we have any idea who we might do next? Uh, the next saint we're going to do will be in March, so we can actually do um, St. David of Wales. His feast day is we actually can do... March. It's, it's Cheese Fair Sunday. Could you humble yourself a little bit? No. Okay. Perfect. So we have. Um, if I did that, then you would have to be. You you would have to fall into pride, and I I can't, as your brother, allow that to happen. True. Whatever helps you. <laughs> this is about you. 
I'm more vain than you. Continue. <laughs> so this month on the 14th, maybe we could even uh, touch on this one. We have Saints Perpetua and Felicity and those martyred with them at Carthage. Right. Also, if you guys aren't familiar, there's an amazing band that, that I listen to regularly. Their name is Holy Name. And I still haven't gotten the exact answer I want, but I'm pretty sure the lead singer, his name is Tommy Green. He does a lot of stuff for child trafficking and raising awareness for that. He was also the lead singer of Sleeping with Giants. He, um, he, he's the singer of that band, and they have a song called Perpetua, Interesting. which is a pretty epic. They're like a melodic metal band, but they use a lot of orthodox imagery. I'm pretty sure... He's mentioned some things. I'm pretty sure he's at least on the road to orthodoxy. So if you guys want to check them out, holy name. But that just made me think of that. So we have Saint, Saints Perpetua and Felicity and those martyred with them at Carthage on the 14th of February. Um, saint Tilo of Wales. Um, he's a, an interesting saint. He founded the monastery at Llandelovar. Um, fantastic. Say that again. Llandelovar. Okay. Um, in, in Pomeranianshire, if, if you've never been, and he, like my, like my patron, he was consecrated a bishop in Jerusalem, which is awesome. Wow! And then today we almost did Saint Cadman, the right. first uh, Orthodox if, English hymn writer. If, if you've never checked out Cadman's hymn, definitely do it. You, you want to read it real fast, actually? Yeah. So, Cadman, Saint Cadman was the hymn of creation, is what yeah. it's called. He was a, a a lay brother at the monastery where Saint Hilda of um, of Whitby, or Saint Hilda, um, was the abbess. So there, there's some definite um, continuity within Orthodox saints here. But if you haven't read the hymn, yeah. So Cadman's hymn of creation. Now we should praise the heaven kingdom's guardian, the measure's might and his mind conception, work of the glorious Father, as we each wonder, eternal Lord instilled at the origin. He first created for men's sons, heaven as a roof, holy creator. Then, middle earth, mankind's guardian, eternal Lord, afterward made the earth for men, Father Almighty. I'm sure I did not read that the best way, but that's pretty... It's kind of a hard one to read. It's, it's a cool, it's, it's a really cool hymn. You, you, if you check it out on He even YouTube, mentions Middle Earth. Well, Midgard is Earth, um, which is what, the, what it would be in Middle English, or Old Anglo-Saxon, rather. But the, uh, there's various musicians on YouTube that have put this to music, and it's a fantastic hymn. It's really cool to hear its song. Do you have any recommendations? So I can't remember what the guy's name is, but he does all kinds of really archaic music with archaic instruments. He actually has, for, for, somehow he figured out how to make a um, Sumerian zither, I believe is what it's called. And, that's an instrument. Yeah, I believe that's what it's called. But he's put the Epic of Gilgamesh to song in Sumerian, which is pretty impressive. And I forget what the guy's name is, but he does some cool stuff. And he's done Cadman's hymn as well. Yeah, so um, we can we can link some of this stuff if you guys would like, so that you can check out the hymn. And uh, is there anything else, Nathan, that you want to touch on today, or no? Um, if you guys have any saints you'd like us to talk about, um, send us an email, leave a comment, leave a review. We'd love to hear what you've got to say. Definitely read the lives of the saints, guys. The Synaxarian is one of our great resources as to how we ought to live our lives. 
into giving concrete examples of how we can carry out Christ's commandments. And yeah, we'd love to hear from you and be keeping your ear out for the next um, for the next installment of uh, what's wrong with the world. And then after that, I think we're going to discuss um, the medieval poem Sir Orpheo, which for anyone who doesn't know is a medieval retelling of Orpheus and Eurydice. And at some point also, we're going to try to touch on the Pearl poem, which if you've never read, you need to, it's fantastic. And maybe if I can convince Ian to, we'll do Havelock the Dane, which is a fantastic story. I love it. It's one of my favorite medieval stories. Okay. And the things I'm excited for are talking about Jordan Peterson. Okay. I guess and we can do Jordan Peterson. And his journey to God. Or, He's on the journey to God. So. Yeah, on the journey to God. So there's going to be quite a few episodes coming up. Uh, make sure you like, subscribe, share this with your friends and family. And uh, earlier I was mentioning to Nathan that I think it's time to maybe do some sort of giveaway. So I have a few books that I don't mind parting with that I think might be beneficial for people. So be You're on the a better man than I am, and I mind parting with all of my books. Well, I have doubles. But I'm also very vain. <laughs> I'm vainer than you. Okay, let's end this. <laughs> So yeah, I hope you guys have enjoyed the first installment on Our Lives of the Saints. Um, I'm probably going to continue to do these as well by myself on the Orthodox Logos, but I definitely enjoy doing them with Nathan. He's got a lot to say, and it always helps me learn. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. Make sure to give the video a thumbs up if it ends up on YouTube. We've been dealing with some uh, technical issues. Our capture card for the camera has stopped working. We've tried numerous other options. So if this video does end up on YouTube, there will just be pictures to go along with it. Um, either way, it'll be on Spotify, Apple, uh, Stitcher, I believe, is ready. I'm not exactly sure. But yeah, I hope you guys have a wonderful and blessed week, and we will uh, hopefully talk to you soon. Cheers. God bless.